Reeling from all the terrible news, but not sure how to take action? I'm Kelly. I'm Lila. And this is What Can I Do? Each week, we interview activists about how they took action, what got them started, who helped them along the way, and what they do differently next time. In the process, we offer concrete advice on how to take the leap from freaking out on Twitter to making a difference. So let's get started. Hi, everyone. I am Kelly Pollack. This is What Can I Do, the podcast where we talk about what you can do when something happens to your family and you want to make things right. I'm going to hand it over to my co-host, Lila Nordstrom. Hello, Lila. Hey, Kelly. How are you? Hanging in there as always. <laughs> I always ask that and it's always like doing my best, Lila, <laughs> doing my best. Um, in any case, I'm very excited about this episode because I, as a 9-11 health advocate, had been watching the burn pit advocacy effort with a lot of interest. A lot of the same people were involved in it. And so I knew that I wanted to have some of the advocates from that effort on the show as soon as we launched it. So I'm very excited to introduce Rosie Torres and Susan Zier. I'm going to let you guys introduce yourselves, and then we'll talk a little bit about your work on the burn pits issue. I'm Rosie Torres, uh, co-founder and executive director of Burn Pits 360 uh, Veterans Organization and, and wife of, uh, of retired Army Captain Leroy Torres. I'm Susan Zier. I am the Ohio advocate for Burn Pits 360, and I am the mother-in-law of Sergeant First Class Heath Robinson, who lost his life to a burn pits illness, and the PACT Act bill was actually named after him. And can you tell us a little bit about what Burn Pits 360 does and a little bit about its founding? Well, well, sure. Um, you know, it originated after we had met an online community of other families. There was a, a Facebook page that one of the Gold Star Widows, Jill Wilkins, uh, founded. And we all met there. And after, you know, experiencing our own delay and deny from, from VA and DOD in regards to like access to health care and benefits and all those things, um, we knew we had one thing in common with these families and individuals, and that was that our loved ones or they themselves are sick, sick and dying. So we made the decision after getting Jill Wilkins' blessing uh, to carry it out onto a, a, a larger platform and something more uniform, where these men and women would number one connect with each other, number two have access to resources and information that 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 no one really had. So we 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 created a coalition of allies, legal experts, researchers, health experts, advocates, um, and just really put together this, created this space, uh, this uh, non-traditional space that you'd never really seen in, in the veteran community. Uh, traditionally, the way bills get pa- passed is through veteran service organizations, but you know, we, we did something amazing and, and we, we founded the organization for that purpose and that purpose only. And so what we do and what we've done in the past is aside from, you know, uh, representing our constituency in Washington for the passage of this important legislation, we, we also uh, educate them through the work of our researchers. Uh, we provide resources and information online. And then 
our advocates also deliver this content uh, out in the community. And, and we continue the mission. <laughs> um, we also have a local warrior support center here in Robstown, Texas, where our headquarters is based out of. And we do all kinds of great things here. You know, we have lots of programs available for the local veteran population um, and their families. But as, in addition to that, you know, we continue the work in Washington. Uh, but it's not only just uh, about the legislative uh, efforts. It's it's a lot more than that. Susan, can you talk a little bit about how you initially got involved? I became involved in 2017. Um, Heath was diagnosed with lung cancer and a rare autoimmune disease in March of 2017. Um, we soon learned that he was exposed to uh, burn pits and I was just outraged and angry because I couldn't believe that uh, the military knowingly poisoned these soldiers and nobody was doing anything about it. And I just started doing research online and I came across the book written by Joseph Hickman the burn pits, the poisoning of American soldiers, and proceeds from the book are donated to Burn Pits 360. So I, I read that in the book, and there was a little bit about Leroy and Rosie. I, I think there is in the book, <laughs> and so I looked up Burn Pits 360 on the internet, and I, I joined their Facebook page, and I, I. I think I sent Rosie a message on the messenger and she gave me her phone number, told me to call her and just kind of took off from there. And I think a month or two later, I was in Washington, D.C. with Rosie and Leroy and and a group of other advocates. So, Since, you know, this the, the, the sort of initial community that came together really came together more out of a shared concern as opposed to specifically organized around federal legislation. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about the transition to pursuing, you know, a federal lobbying effort and pursuing legislation. I know that that's something, you know, in the 9-11 community, we kind of started, you know, and we were like, oh, wait a minute, you know, we got poisoned and now what, now, you know, what are we asking for in, in, as the next step? And, you know, so there was sort of like a, a slow transition into a federal lobbying effort. I'm kind of wondering if you could talk about what that transition was like uh, for this issue. Right. Um, that's exactly what it was. Um, I think as we all began, I think at different phases of, of our experience, like, I don't know, you know, when it happened for Susan and for my family and for all these other families, the the denial letters <laughs> and, and, and messaging coming from VA and DOD was that, you know, of course, initially there was this class action lawsuit, right, against the government contractors. And 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 we lost that 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 case. I, I think it was almost like a decade in the making. And when we lost that case, I, I knew at that point. Through, through our experience, you know, with our own family and me having had worked at the VA for 23 years, I really saw, you know, the, 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 the bureaucracy and, and, and that tactic they were using to just continue to deny any kind of association. Um, so for my family specifically, and I, like I said, for all the other families, I'm sure it was the same. 
the same um, experience was that VA's messaging was uh, no to service connection, no to caregiver benefits, no to all of it. There's no connection that um, inhaling dioxins causes damage to your health. And that was the exact messaging on the VA website. It was very upsetting um, because as we began, you know, we established our registry, an independent registry where every time you read an entry, it was the same story. It was another Heath Robinson, another another Leroy Torres, death entry after death entry. And we realized at that point, you know, I remember receiving Leroy's specific letter for a connection to the lung disease in which he had received a specific diagnosis for through a pathology report. And the message from VA was that that, that there's no, there's no, there's no listing for this specific disease in the code of federal regulations. So until Congress says so, you will not receive compensation for a disease that has just stripped him of his military career and civilian career. And at that time for me, I said, well, then Congress will say so because I'm not going to just sit back like these other families and just accept the fact that you're saying what is inhaled at the World Trade Center, that those chemicals and what's inhaled at, at, at in Iraq, for example, Camp Anaconda, it's no different. Like those dioxins aren't any different it's just the environment and the, the the longevity of, you know, the exposure and all that. But for me, it was like, absolutely not. <laughs> we have to then create the coalition of allies and experts that do know this area on the science, health and legal side. And we're going to just bring it all to Congress. <laughs> and that's how that happened. <laughs> because I think like for Susan and for, Kevin and for every other person on our registry of over 10,000 people, it was no, 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 never going to happen. It's not going to happen. So how do you just sit back and tell your loved one that there's no help coming? Yeah. And I, and our case was actually a little different for the fact that Heath was active duty when he was diagnosed because he was employed by the Ohio Army National Guard. And um, the first words out of his oncologist's mouth were, what the hell have you been exposed to? So, um, you know, that's when the discussion began on burn pits with my daughter and Heath and, and, and then of course the rest of the family. And, um, as I started doing research and I'm, I'm reading articles, I think the guardian was the first burn pits article I read. And it was talking about all these dying dead soldiers, including Bo Biden, and that they were the, the common denominator was that they were on bases with burn pits in Iraq or Afghanistan. And um, the VA was denying that there was any connection between those. And I'm like, this, how can this be possible that we're killing our own soldiers? So for Heath, it was a little different because he got wonderful care because he had his TRICARE. He, he, his army captain and a major 
in his unit, you know, they filled out all the paperwork, got him on the burn pit registry. They, they did all that for him. He was 100% service connected on practically day one. And, and that's important to remember because a lot of these people like Rosie talked about, they, they wouldn't service connect them, but Heath is a case where he was service connected and then still was later denied um, benefits. So as it turned out, he had wonderful, fabulous care from civilian doctors and his TRICARE covered everything, prescription medications. They didn't have a copay. They didn't pay a dime. And um, he was eventually medically separated, so retired and entered the VA system. And that's when everything went to hell. The VA started denying him tests because they said he didn't need it. They delayed his approvals for his treatments, which were $35,000 every three weeks. We knew how expensive it was, so they delayed those. He was prescribed a medication to mitigate a very, very excruciatingly painful side effect he was having from his treatments that the doctors had never seen before. I mean, these cancers, Rosie will tell you, these these illnesses and cancers aren't typical of, of what research and studies show for lung cancer. He had lung cancer, but the form of it was rare. He did not have a primary tumor. So what are you going to direct treatment to? You know, they're very aggressive cancers. Um, the, the side effects from the treatments aren't typical. The doctors, they would send him, sometimes he'd be at six different hospitals in one day because they didn't know what to do with them. But once he was prescribed this medication to, to eliminate some of the pain he was having, the VA denied it because it was $2,000. So he was in, Heath was in so much pain that he begged my daughter and I to overdose him. And so this, you know, this is what drove me because, you know, as soon as I met Rosie, I mean, it was like 10 minutes after talking to her that I learned about how many, you know, you kind of feel like, well, there's only a couple of us out there. Nobody's going to help us. And, you know, finding out there's thousands, maybe even millions. But, but our case is, is an example that you can do everything right. You can be service connected and the VA could still, and, and the reason they denied him the, that, well, that medication, they just said it was too expensive and he didn't need it. Um, but they, he was denied caregiver benefits and, the reason for denying that was they said he was 100% service connected. They evaluated his care as being the highest level, requiring round the clock home health care, and that my daughter was already providing a very high level of care. And they understood that and they knew that to be true, but they denied him because. He did not prove it was related to burn pits or combat. Combat, yeah. And yeah. I think Susan, Susan, you know, makes a great point in that, you know, your original question really asking about like what drove us to to the legislative ask. What uh, you know, the, the the demand really is that it, it there was just this flat out denial for not just the veteran community, but you had 
National Guard, active duty, all really coming to this one little nonprofit out of Texas because they had nowhere else to turn. And and remember, keep in mind, back then there was no burn pit registry. We actually were the ones that pushed for the passage through our own registry to prove the numbers that there was a need. So yeah, lots of background on, on what led us to. Yeah. yeah. So once it became clear to you that what you needed was federal legislation, how do you sort of figure out what's the next step? I mean, I think it, it, as much as I know about politics, I would still have no no clue what to do first <laughs> to, to get a law passed. So what, you know, h- how do you figure that out? What, what do you actually do uh, to get that ball rolling? I think we did it all, right, Susan? Like we, so for us in the initial phase of the organization, and I think Susan will do a great job in telling you how, you know, she came into the picture and all these other advocates. The initial phase of it, uh, which was more than a decade ago, when no one was talking about burn pits, there were no bills or any piece of legislation on burn pits aside from the one that Stacey Pennington and her, 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 those other families worked on to shut down the burn pits. No one was talking about it. And I don't have a degree in policy. <laughs> so for, for, for the initial group of people, including my family, we were just trying to attack it from every angle we knew how. And I think the beauty of the space we created as a group of families and advocates and experts was that I quickly learned that that the press was going to play a huge role. And I started to record Leroy, which seemed very cruel, but I started to record when he was having episodes because like with Susan and all these other men and women, if you didn't really capture that moment, which is really what America loves, right, is to live in the moment, it's really hard to tell that they're sick unless they're in that point of their health where, you know, it's very obvious. But for a lot of these men and women, it wasn't. A lot of people that died from cancer were still, you know, look very healthy on the outside. But for us, it was, it was, you know, just, it was just trying to figure out and and really bringing in the press to help us tell those stories. So when I met Susan, and I'll let Susan touch on this, but when I met Susan, I, I, what I said to her, which is, I'd only said it to a few other families, was Susan because Heath was already very ill at that point. But I said, Susan, you you can hang up on me if you want to, or you can take my advice. And that is that you're going to have to pick up your phone and you're going to have to record these very excruciating, intimate moments in, in, in Heath's journey so that America can see the injustice. And Susan did it. That wasn't easy. I felt like crap. And I never, ever let Heath know I was recording. In fact, Danielle didn't know. I snuck around. I kept my phone on me. I actually moved. We live 120 miles apart. So for the last 10 months of his life, I moved in with them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, there were times when, when I couldn't grab my phone because I was helping him, um, but yeah, I I felt horrible doing it, but I'm glad that I did. And most of that has not been seen publicly, but enough people have seen it, like Rosie and Tim Jensen from Grunt Style. Some media have seen it, but they didn't show it. 
enough to let them know the horror and the suffering that my family went through, not just Heath, but my granddaughter, me, and my daughter, especially those of us that were with him um, all the time, and then all our surrounding family and friends. You know, it, when Rosie, I didn't hesitate. I believed her. You know, Rosie had already been involved in this for probably five, six, seven years. I don't know. I don't, 2017, when did you start? 2010 or? In 2010, yeah. About seven years, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I I had never, I've gone to Washington, D.C. as a tourist. You know, I, (laughs) I, you know, I, I pretty much, um, Burn Pits 360 and Rosie just kind of took me under their wings and I just kind of followed their advice and, Sometimes I came up with a few things of my own um, or I'd run them by Rosie. And in fact, Rosie suggested to me that I wear Heath's army jacket. And she made the statement that until some of the 9-11 responders, families or advocates started wearing like the firefighter jackets. I think Congresswoman Carolyn Maloney started wearing one to Congress every day. Mm-hmm. And she said they didn't get a lot of traction until they start wearing those. So I put a sign on the back of Heath's army jacket that said, ask me why the soldier who wore this uniform in Iraq is dying. And I put my email on it. <laughs> and um, that's right. I didn't get a lot of positive response from it. I got a lot of negative <laughs> and I got called horrible names for wearing a uniform I didn't deserve to wear. But the more angry people got with me, especially members of Congress, the more I was determined to wear it because I knew if I was making them that angry, it was working. And, and I was getting attention, whether it was good or bad. It was mm-hmm. attention that, we, that I, we needed on this issue. Yeah. And on that note of 9-11, you're right, Susan, you know, th- thank you for uh, paving the way on on the, you know, with the 9-11 uh, advocacy and efforts. It's from the get go. It was always about taking the blueprint the 9-11 advocates had had set up and really applying that because for years I was researching the air samplings from 9-11. I was researching photos and images of what those efforts look like, that very unified effort that you all <laughs> so strongly and powerfully put together, I was like, that's what we need to do. And that's who we need to contact. So yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think early on when John Stewart and John Field um, teamed up with this, when they finished the uh, nine, uh, 2019, I think it was, John Stewart made a comment that the World Trade Center was the original burn pit. You have all of the same substances being burned. Mm-hmm. The, the same accelerant was jet fuel. So you mm-hmm. have the same toxins. And the only difference is the, the World Trade Center pile was not ground zero, was not every day for 10, 15, 20 years where, Mm -hmm. you know, the burn pits were burning 24-7 for the the entire deployment of the soldiers. So, but yeah, the toxins, everything's the same. 
I'm curious if you could talk a little bit because, you know, since I know that the 9-11 effort really was a 20-year effort, it was it was a slow and excruciating process. And we spent a lot of time on the Hill, like for years before anyone even found out we were there. I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what it actually looks like to go advocate for something like the PACT Act. How much time did you spend on the Hill? And then also, you know, being an advocate around an issue like this can, you know, can be challenging because you're telling a challenging story over and over and over again. And you're often, you know, as you pointed out, you're having to kind of rely on, you know, theatrical tactics that feel really horrible in the moment. I mean, I I testified next to Detective Alvarez at that hearing that was days before his death. And that just like in the moment felt horrible. So I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you do to protect yourself as you're doing this work. It's a, you know, it's long, uh, it's it's a it's always a long effort. It takes a lot out of you, and it also you know requires you to kind of rehash and relive terrible memories for long periods of time. So, like, how much time did you actually devote to this? And then also, what did you do to kind of protect yourself amidst amidst all of this? Every minute of every day of the last thirteen years, I've committed my family, my children, my husband my parents, right? Like the amount of time that you lose with them and, and, and they're sacrificing as well. Right. Like I saw a documentary of a Dolores Huerta, who's a civil rights advocate. And, and I just met her, she's 93 years old, (laughs) but in her documentary, her children are talking about how they had to sacrifice as well in losing her in the sense of like, because she's so busy and consumed in, in, in the advocacy side of it. So like I said, I'm, I'm not exaggerating, exaggerating. I was just thinking about that last night because now I go to bed like at midnight. And in the early years of my advocacy, I would go to bed at four in the morning because I was up all night researching, networking, whatever. I don't even know. There was so much that went on late at night <laughs> that 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 it became like addictive right? Like I couldn't put it down. I couldn't not, not talk about it. When I think about my children asking me for things, they were teenagers and I'm like, I'm on a call. I'm talking to a veteran. I'm doing this. So lots of, lots of time loss with my family, but a lot of countless hours at all hours of the night. And then, so last night I was like, it feels weird not to be up to until two or three in the morning. I kind of miss it, but not really. Um, so, <laughs> and then I work. So, so uh, like I said, it becomes addictive, right? Then you tend to like, oh, wow. Like, where do we go from here? But I, for me, when you talk about like, how did you protect yourself? Well, number one, I never really took care of myself because I always put the mission first. But secondly, I worked at the VA. So that was very controversial, right? Like I was trying to get him help. And because all these systemic barriers were in place and they were all the odds were against us, it was, uh, you know, difficult. And, and I even had like our vision director, like every VA has a vision. And he came down to talk to me about like why I was in the press. And I'm like, I, I don't need permission from public affairs. I'm not representing the VA. I'm representing my husband. So it got very dirty and weird. And uh, eventually I left the VA on my own terms. I took an, I was forced to take an early retirement, but yeah, it was weird for me because I were actually worked for the agency I was going up against. 
right? So it was a very weird time, very weird space. And it was difficult for them to say no, because when that would happen, I, I'd make sure I'd, I'd contact someone in Washington and say, like, something has to be done. These are the things that are being presented to me as a wife of an Iraq war vet. And they could never separate the two, employee, wife of a war veteran. So it was very challenging, discouraging, depressing, all of it. You know, it really consumed my life, but I don't regret one minute of it. I do it all over again. Yeah, I think it's the same for me. I mean, not only the countless hours that we spent in Washington, you know, Rosie, I mean, in a lot of times, we would go on a spur of the moment. I mean, we had planned um, briefings or, or if there was a hearing, sometimes Rosie would call or text and say, hey, you want to meet me in Washington, <laughs> you know, tomorrow? And, <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, my car is three years old and I have 90,000 miles on it. And, and it wasn't just Washington, you know, I think what yeah. earlier this spring, Mm-hmm. There was a rally in North Carolina to try to get the two North Carolina senators to co-sponsor. I jumped in the car, drove, it was an 11-hour drive, you know, the afternoon before I found out about it and I called my husband, he was at work. I said, I'm leaving, I'm going to North Carolina and I'm leaving now, I'll see you in a couple of days. I was in the uh, in, in the middle of the of area and I, I, I looked to my left and I said, Lo and behold, Susan has to show up. Yes. <laughs> I see the car pull up and I said, she's here. Thank God. Yeah. But I mean, there, you know, there's not anywhere if if I could drop everything and go, you know, I've been to Michigan. So um, I don't know how many times, Indiana, um, Southern Ohio, Kentucky. If if there if someone was having a briefing or an event, a veterans event, and they'd want a table for, we could have a table for Burn Pit Three Sixty set up, you know. Hey, and yep, Susan, we'll can I can I interrupt you to yep. so that you can uh, highlight <laughs> the other strategy that we tried, which was that you paid seven hundred dollars to give Biden the book. oh yeah, <laughs> yep, and um, information. Yes, yeah, so when when Joe Biden in between being vice president. And uh, and then now president, it was 2018, and he was on a book tour, and I found a ticket to his book tour at the, <laughs> at the University of Pittsburgh, and I think the tickets were like $65, and I thought, I'll go to this. I'm not going to be able to talk to him, so I'm looking at the the ticket website, and they had this meet and greet ticket. It was like $380. And you could shake his hand and get a picture with him. So, and I I knew Rosie had been trying to get a hold of his like publicist and try to get, you know, try to get some, you know, an ally, you know, he, he knows everyone in the Senate and has friends there, you know, so kind of like to have someone maybe in the background kind of pushing our agenda on top of the fact that he believed his son's bow son Bo's uh, brain cancer was caused by burn pits. And Bo and Heath, by the way, were on the same base and also in Kosovo, which Kosovo also had burn pits. So 
I went ahead and bought the ticket. And then I had, it was $150 for a hotel. And it was probably like another $100 for gas and the turnpike tolls. But I I got there and Rosie had sent me a bunch of information to give him, I think, a t-shirt and a book and some testimonial stories. And so I get there and there's a hundred of us that have to get through in 60 minutes. So they're they're telling us, you have to set everything on this table. You're going to walk up on the stage. You're going to shake his hand. You're going to turn around and smile for a picture. And then you're going to walk off the other edge of the stage and your coat and your belongings, your person that will be down at the other end of the stage. So I had the stuff to give him and they told me I couldn't give it to him. So I was like, crap. But I did wear a Burn Pits 360 sweatshirt. It was cold. It was February. And, you know, everybody else is dressed nice and presentable. And, you know, <laughs> they're all looking at me, coming to meet the former vice president wearing a sweatshirt. So I, as soon as I walked up to him, he just looked in my eyes and he knew something was wrong. And he said, are you okay? And I said, no. And he just took my hands in his and he just gave me a hug. He didn't even know what was going on. He did see the Burn Pits 360 logo though on the shirt. And he said, okay, tell me what's going on. And I probably had about five minutes with him when they were rushing everybody. I mean, it was dead silence. And I told him about Heath and I said, we need your help to get help for these veterans. And he said, I want what you want. And then, and then when I left the stage, I'm like, well, here, I got this stuff I didn't get to give them. And they told me I wasn't allowed to give him anything because it has to go through all this security first. So I asked somebody, there was like a, a, security standing there on the edge of the stage. And I said, I need to give this to him. <laughs> and, and he's like, put it here by my feet and I'll make sure he gets it. I go, no, that's not good enough. So I kept kind of pushing him. I said, no, I need one of his staff or somebody to physically take this from me. And um, one of his staffers came over and took it from me and said, he'd make sure he got it. And now we never heard anything back from him. I think I put your business card in there, Rosie. I don't remember everything that was in that packet. But when we uh, were at the White House to sign the bill, he told me he remembered meeting me and that that day. So that meant a lot. It And whether, you know, I kind of didn't know if that if I made an impact or not, but I kind of hoped that I did and that he was working on it behind the scenes. So I, I think that's what happened. And that may have led to why Danielle was invited to the state of the union. You know, it all kind of comes together now. when I think back that why did we get picked for this and why was the bill named after Heath? And so it all, cause it could have been named after there's so many people that could have their, their name on that bill. And yeah, that was quite an experience, but it worked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it worked. And I think that's, you know, this is a, it's an incredible uh, effort that, that you all put in to, to get this. Uh, and it's, it's such a great story because you did get the legislation through it. It 
did get passed. And so that, uh, I think, despite some hiccups at the end, which is a whole different podcast rant that we could go on. <laughs> but, you know, it, it did get through. And I think it's it's so inspiring to to uh, have done so much and, and ended up being able to help so very many people. If people want to learn a little bit more about burn pits and the registry and, and burn pits 360, how can they do that? Yeah, they can follow us on our social media pages. We're on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, all of it. And uh, and they can go to our website, um, burnpits360.org, and just click on whichever tab is is up there. But in in, in addition to, to to the work we've done on, on the Hill, we've launched a program called Warrior Hope Network. Because so many men and women are coming back with these horrible illnesses. And uh, the, the funds that we raise, we provide things like hyperbaric, oxygen chambers for veterans to have in their homes, portable oxygen concentrators, and lots of other uh, supplies and resources that that they may need that the VA is not providing. So yeah, they can go there and learn more about the great stuff that we're doing and uh, things that we've done already. <laughs> Thank you guys so much for joining us. I've you know, it's it's always so exciting to hear about a, a real like grassroots, you know, effort driven by regular people like the one I was involved in. I'm also so thrilled that that could in part be a roadmap for what you guys accomplished. I hope that many other communities that are affected by these kinds of issues are able to use, you know, both of our efforts as roadmaps themselves, which is sort of why I was so excited to have you guys on in the first place. So thanks so much for joining us. Thank you having us. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's nice meeting you. Thanks for listening to What Can I Do? You can find show notes and credits for this episode at whatcanidopodcast.com. To the best of our knowledge, all audio used by What Can I Do is in the public domain or used with permission. Original artwork is by Matthew Wesson and used with express permission. You can find us on Twitter at What Can I Do Pod. To contact us with questions or guest suggestions, please email hello at whatcanidopodcast.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review and tell your friends.